Today, I want to introduce you to one of the strangest stories in all of the Bible, one of the craziest stories, and maybe one of the craziest stories of of all time. It's the story of Samson. Now, if you uh, grew up going to Sunday school or anything like that, you might remember the story of Samson, and probably what you remember about Samson is his incredible strength, that it's true that no man is described as being physically stronger than Samson. And yet, arguably, no man is described as being spiritually weaker than Samson. And it's sort of this weird dichotomy that forces us to ask the question, a really important question, I believe, in today's society, in American culture, is this. What does strength look like? What does strength look like? And would we know strength if we were to witness it, if we were to see it? I believe that pretty much every man wants to be known as being strong. I might be speaking for all the men in here, but, but I think at least at some point in our life, every man wants to be known as being physically strong. From the time that we're little boys, that we run around the, shirt, run around the house with our shirt off, you know, flexing our muscles, saying, hey, look at this, look at this, feel this, and it's just a pebble on top of a bony little stick, and you know, your mom's like, oh, it's so strong, yeah. Ladies, maybe you married a grown-up version of that that you're still trying to put up with, right? God bless you. Um, <clears throat> but both men and women, I, I think, want to be known as being strong. But, you know, it, it seems like lately that this question is so important to ask. What does strength look like? Seriously, That's an important question to ask in our day and age. What does strength look like? I mean, does it look like physical strength? Does it look like fame or riches or power? I mean, what about this? Does strength look like this? Or this? Or that? Or that? You notice I'm not playing nice, but I am playing fair. We remember the tape that played during the campaign, and we remember the dress. And you know, sadly, I could put up dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures and faces up there. I could put up pictures of good Christian men for us to see. I could put up pictures of pastors and clergy up there on the screen. Let's, I mean, let's face it. This is a problem, not just a me too, but a church too. This is a problem in our own churches, in our own lives. What constitutes as strength? What does strength look like? And you know the ones who have been showing real strength? The ones who have been showing real strength are the women who have been standing up and speaking out against these abuses of power. And my hope, my hope is that when the world comes looking for strength, 
to find what strength really looks like. When the world comes looking particularly for strong men, where are all the good guys at? Where are all the real men at? That the world would need to look no further than this church. That they would find here a strength and a power that is unmatched because of our character and our integrity. That we wouldn't have to run around flexing our muscles. Saying, hey, look at this but that we would go around showing our hearts and what God has done in our lives. What does strength look like? And so we might imagine Samson with these big, huge, bulking muscles, maybe someone that looks kind of like this. (laughs) R.I.P., greatest warrior. Ultimate warrior, thank you. Thank you. Uh, But I don't imagine uh, that Samson actually looked like this. And and here's why. Because if someone looked like this and did something that was just physically amazing, you know, lifted something, moved something, pushed something, we wouldn't be all that impressed. Like, yeah, of course you can do that. Look, Look at that guy. But I think Samson probably looked a little bit more like this. Some of you are connecting the dots with that one, right? All right. Because you see, if someone with these big, huge, bulking muscles did something physically strong, then we wouldn't really be all that amazed. I mean, we would be entertained, but we wouldn't be impressed. Of course you can do that. But if I did something physically strong, if that guy did something physically strong, you all would be so impressed because you think that my knees are just going to give out from underneath me any second now. I mean, you you look at me and you're like, man, that guy can't even stand up on his own. And if he did something physically amazing, you'd say, that has to be God. That has to be God who's doing that through him. You see, every time that Samson did something physically powerful, it was always preceded by this phrase. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The only reason why Samson was so strong was because of the strength of God at work within him. Samson was strong because God's spirit was strong within him. And as we're going to see, that strength that Samson was given was something that he just wasted. It was something that he just abused. Something that he took for granted. He was supposed to use it for good, to deliver the people, to bring the people back to God. But he ended up falling away from God himself. That no one was physically stronger than Samson. And yet no man was spiritually weaker than Samson. So let me just give you a little bit of a background into, uh, into the story of Samson. The story of Samson is found in the Old Testament book of Judges. And the book of Judges marks a time in Israel's history between Joshua, when the Israelites are led into the promised land. So a time between Joshua and King David, the first king of Israel. It was about a 330-year period of time where Israel had no king. 
They, they had no central government. Instead, God was supposed to be the king of Israel at this time, when Israel was really more like a commonwealth. There was 12 distinct tribes, and they shared a common ancestry, they shared a common religion, but beyond that, nothing really bound them together. Each tribe kind of did whatever it was that they wanted. And so God, as king, would raise up these judges from among the people from time to time in order to keep God's law, administer God's law, and and show the people the way into God's path. And Samson was the last judge of Israel. And so here's how that system all went. That during that 330-year reign of the judges, it went like this. Israel served the Lord... Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Israel is enslaved. Israel cries out to God. God raises up a judge. Israel is delivered. Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Israel is enslaved. On and on and on it went. There was devotion, disobedience, disaster. Something bad happened and then Deliverance, devotion, disobedience, disaster, deliverance, devotion, disobedience, disaster, deliverance, and on and on and on it went. And now here's why the book of Judges is such a great book. The book of Judges is such a great book because it's our book, it's our story. You see, they didn't like God's law because the same reason why we don't like laws. The same reason why we don't like God's law. We don't like being told what to do. So they kept going through the same cycle. Devotion, disobedience, disaster, deliverance. Devotion, disobedience, disaster, deliverance. And every time they kept saying, God, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to do it again. I'm never going to, never going to, never going to, never going to. And then they did the same thing that they said that they were never going to do again. Does that sound familiar? Does it? I mean, we've all disobeyed before, right? If we won't acknowledge that we've disobeyed God, we've, we've disobeyed our parents, we've disobeyed some authority before, and we've cried out for deliverance, and someone has come along to help you out, bail you out, give you a second chance, and you said, I'll never do it again, I'm never going to go back again, I, I promise, and you didn't, for a couple days, at least, And so the refrain throughout the book of Judges is this. And it really starts with the story of Samson. But here's how the book of Judges ends. It has this chilling ending. This is the very last verse of this book. And it says this, All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It's a biography of what happens when a group of people or an individual like Samson thinks, I'm going to do whatever is right in my own eyes. Don't bother me. I mean, after all, that's kind of the American way, right? That I'm free to do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want, but we stick a little caveat on there so we don't feel as bad, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. 
And you know, it seems like sometimes we put that up as the poster of what strength looks like. You're free to do what you want, when you want, with whomever you want. It, it seems like the greatest piece of advice and wisdom that our culture has to offer us is that if it feels right, then just do it. That if it's right in your own eyes, then, then just go ahead and do it. But... But what if what feels right today feels like regret tomorrow? What if what seems right in your eyes isn't right in God's eyes? And so let's jump into the story of Samson. His story begins in Judges uh, chapter 13. And, and here's how uh, his story begins. This is the very beginning of it. It says, again, <laughs> again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Disobedience, disaster, and then there comes deliverance, and Samson is born. And Samson's birth is really pretty remarkable. You can read about it uh, throughout the rest of Judges 13. Uh, Samson was born to a mother who uh, was thought to be barren, that she couldn't have children. And then God shows up and says, Surprise! So it goes on, it says, even though you have been unable to have children, this is God speaking to Samson's mother, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite, hang on to that phrase, from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Samson was born with a very specific task. Deliver Israel from the Philistines, their enemies who had oppressed them for 40 years. But in order to accomplish this task, Samson had to have a a Nazarite vow. He was to become a Nazarite. That word Nazarite really just means set apart. And a Nazarite, someone who was set apart, had to take a vow. You can find this in Numbers chapter 6 if you're really nerdy and you want to look at it. But essentially, there were three things that you had to abide by when you took a Nazarite vow. And most people only took these vows for a short period of time. Samson took it for his entire life. And they were this, no drinking. So no Bud Light, no craft beer, no martinis, no alcohol, none of that. Two, no touching dead things. If it died, let it lie. And three, no haircuts. So... For all of you that have had mullets out there, uh, you are halfway to holiness, right? Uh, Business in the front, party in the back, heathen in the front, holy in the back, right? Um, Anyways, so what's up with with not cutting your hair? I mean, the first two, we like sort of get, you know, no drinking. Okay, don't become drunk and, and don't touch dead things because, well, that's just really nasty. And all of Israel had to abide by that one, but... No haircuts? I mean, what's up with that? Well, you see, Samson's hair was supposed to be like an outward and visible sign 
of an inward and spiritual truth. An outward sign telling the rest of the world, showing the rest of the world that he had been set apart from birth, that everyone could see his hair. Everyone, by just looking at him, would be able to tell that God is doing something in his life. It's sort of like my wedding ring. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual truth. It's an outward and visible sign for all the women that just really have it for pastors and, you know, can't control themselves. And it's telling the rest of the women out there that I've promised myself to one woman. I've made a vow within my heart that I've promised myself to one woman to have and to hold for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual truth. And so on the outside, on the outside, it seems like Samson is following God. But on the inside, his heart, it's really adrift. And it may seem strange to us, but come on, how often do we do the same thing? That on the outside, we've, we've got a ring on. That we're, we're devoted to our spouse as, as far as the neighbors can tell, but really our eyes are wandering. That really, what if our neighbors were to go back through and search our internet browsing history? That what if they saw the way that we treated our spouse? Does that look like devotion? Or what about us on Sunday mornings? We, we appear to be good church-going folk. We're here, after all, on a Sunday morning when we could be doing something else, but they don't see the way that we treat our family or our coworkers or the way that we treat and neglect the poor and the marginalized. And we all know the word for this, it's the world's favorite word to throw on us church people. It's the word hypocrite. Hypocrite. Someone who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. Someone who acts in contradiction to his or her beliefs and morals. But if we're honest, we're all that. We're all hypocrites. And you know, that's the book of Judges. (laughs) They disobeyed God when God said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And they did it anyways. And all along the way, they thought, ah, I don't need God. I can do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. And then when their world fell apart, they came back to God to bail them out and said, God, We need you. Turns out we were wrong. Hypocrites. And yet how often is that our story? That if I can just keep it together on the outside, then then I'll be good. But what happens when the world outside of you crumbles? What happens when the mask is ripped off? What happens when what you thought was right in your own eyes turns out not to be right in God's eyes? 
That on the outside, it seems like Samson was following God with his long hair, but really his heart was a mess, a hypocrite. And so let me just spoil the end of the story for you. Samson gets a haircut, and it's a big deal. And suddenly he loses all of his strength because his hair is cut. But really, as as we're going to see throughout the story as it goes on, really what led Samson to lose his God-given strength was not the loss of his hair, but it was the loss of his self-control. Samson was an incredibly strong man with an incredibly weak will. He was an incredibly strong man with an incredibly weak self-control. He compromised time and time again. He stepped his foot over the line just a little bit time and time again, and it was a steady march into self-destruction. You ever met someone who appeared strong on the outside? Strong business person, a strong personality, strong physically. They seem to be strong in so many ways, and and yet they're weak in self-control. They may seem to be so strong uh, in, in their business, in their profession, but they can't control their anger with their own family. Or or someone who seems to be so strong out there in the community, but they can't control themselves to one woman or one man. And I think what happens is, we've seen it. Maybe we've lived it. What happens is that there's an attitude problem. And so let me just give you three things, three attitudes that I think make a strong person fall into weakness. And over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to look at, in depth at all of these in the story of Samson. But, but here they are. And so the first attitude is this. I want it. Lust. That'll make a strong person weak. I, I want it. Lust. That when you're willing to neglect every step of logic in pursuit of what you desire. So let me take you to Samson's first misstep, his first uh, point of weakness. This is the beginning of Judges 14. It says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, now he's not supposed to be there, that's enemy territory, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. I want her. Go get her for me. Now, that's not the dumbest line of a lustful man. I don't know what is. I want her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites whom you could marry, they asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? Can't you just marry one of these nice Israelite girls? Can't you just marry one of your cousins? Wouldn't, wouldn't that make your mother so happy? Samson says, I don't care. I want it. I want her. Go get her for me. Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. She is right in my eye. 
I don't care what you say, what God says, she is right in my eyes. And I can do whatever is right in my eyes. I can have whatever is right in my eyes. If it feels right, then I'll do it. But Samson, Samson, what if what feels right today looks like regret tomorrow? That if you always have the attitude of, I want it, then inevitably someday you're going to be left with, I regret it. And Samson will regret this. We'll save that for another week. So here's the second attitude that makes the strong weak. I deserve it. Entitlement. I deserve it. I work hard. I, I deserve it. I have to put up with those people all day. I, I deserve it. I deserve a drink. I deserve my money. I deserve a promotion. I deserve it. I've worked hard for it. It's mine. I deserve it. I'm falling from that is the third. I can handle it. I can handle it. It's pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Any of you, your grandmama or mama, recited that verse to you before? Pride might be the greatest one of all of these. You see, Samson always thought that he could handle it, whatever it was. But everything that he thought he could handle ended up handling him. He fell to pride time and time again. And so let me, let me ask you, just real honest this morning, looking at that list, which one do you struggle with the most? And be honest with yourself and, and just, just name it for yourself. And if you're having a hard time trying to identify which one it is, let me help you out it's probably going to be the one that you have the hardest time saying out loud. It's going to be the one that you have the hardest time admitting to yourself, confessing to God. And so let me give you three attitudes to combat this. Three attitudes that that actually make the, the supposedly weak strong. The first attitude is, is this. It's, I need... And ultimately, I believe it's, I need God. And, and that's honesty. When, when we get to a point where we can say, you know what? Turns out I'm not as strong as I thought I was. That I need. I, I don't have all that I need. And, and so I need, I need something outside of myself. I, I need God. The second one is this. Instead of, I deserve it, it's really, I deserve Nothing. And that's humility. Because what we believe as Christians is that everything that we have is a gift from God first given to us. That even our very lives and our very own existence is a gift from God. We don't deserve it. And by the way, Scripture is very clear about what we do deserve. Romans 6.23 says this. It says, For the wages of sin is death. 
that the price tag on all the times that we've messed up and messed around, for all, the price for all the times that we've disobeyed God and tried to shut God out of our lives, the, the price for that of what we really deserve is death, separated from God forever. But, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But what God gives us is mercy. God doesn't give us what we deserve. It's a gift. It's called grace. Grace is something that we cannot deserve. It's it's something that we can't earn because Jesus paid the price for us when he gave his life up on the cross. He came to give us newness of life and second chances. We don't deserve it. Have a humble spirit. And then the last one that falls from the other two is this, that acknowledging that, that I can fall. That I've been there. I, I know how vulnerable I can be because here's the truth. We all can fall. We all can fall into sin. We all could have had our picture shown up there at the beginning of this whole thing. And what we need, what we need to make sure that we don't fall is a community of brothers and sisters that we can be held accountable to. It's people who can speak truth into our lives with love. It's people that we can be vulnerable enough to share our deepest struggles with. And let me also tell you, I, this, this might just be my own thinking. <laughs> but I think that, that these three attitudes are what the world is longing for. They're what the world is longing for. And the people who will end up changing the world are, are not the ones who seem so physically strong. They might be. But I think the people who end up changing the world are the ones who are strong enough to confess, I'm weak. I'm weak. That the strongest person in the world is not the one with the most power, but the strongest person in the world is the one that has the most restraint, the one that has the most self-control. That's what real strength looks like. And so as we begin this journey into Samson's life, I, I want to give us a moment to just be vulnerable and honest before God and say, God, I need you. And I don't deserve your grace. But I'm asking for it today. And if today is the first time or maybe the first time in a long time that, that you've decided to change your attitude. To change your attitude and, and say to God, God, I need you. I don't deserve your grace, but I'm asking for it today. If, if today is the first time that you're making that decision, I'd, I'd love to see you after service to have a talk about that. But really, all of us, all of us, right, need to say that every day. God, I need you. And I know I don't deserve your grace and your mercy. 
But Lord, here I am asking for it today. And when we do that, when we do that, we find a real strength, a true strength, the strength of the power of God working in our lives. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us. Help us to stop relying on ourselves. Lord, help us to stop relying on our own strength and give us the courage and the strength of you, Lord Christ, that we may rely on you as we submit our lives over to you. God, we pray for your strength to live within us and to fill us up. God, that your spirit would rest powerfully upon us so that we may go out to be your witnesses to all of the world, showing the grace that you are working in our lives. God, give us some different attitudes so that we can be strong in you. Lord, that you would make us the people who you created us to be. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.